Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'll be bringing the, again the message today out of the book of Revelation. Uh, we're back from the one little one week break that we had for Easter and uh, what a refreshment time that was on the resurrection. So now we're back into Revelation chapter 17 and I'm going to read the context for you today. Again, it's found in Revelation 17, 9 and following till the end of the chapter. I won't read all those verses, but if you'd like to follow along, please do. Revelation chapter uh, 17, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. The Word of God reads, beginning in verse 9, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. And the beast was what? And the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. Well, that's a tongue twister, that verse. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings, who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are called, who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. So once again, you can see just by the average reading of this, it's a very complicated passage. And we began this, this section uh, two weeks ago, one week before Easter, and we said that uh, one of the keys to understanding this is actually found in verse 9. Verse 9 is, here is the mind which has wisdom. And so I think that this is a, a very important verse to look at because... Uh, of of what is is laid before us, it says the mind which has wisdom. What well, what is that? What is a mind with wisdom? I think he's telling us that it's going to take more than just the reading of this to understand it. It's going to take more than just a an understanding of geography or the history of the world to understand this. There is a spiritual implication and meaning here that we are to see beyond these words, and it's going to take the spiritual mind to do that. Well, and those with the spiritual minds and spiritual wisdom are going to be the believers, specifically uh, the believers who are alive during the time of the Great Tribulation, who are able to see this. They're going to need spiritual wisdom and discernment in order to be able to follow this through. And I, I do believe that during the time of Tribulation, many of the believers, many, many of them, will be gathered in small groups, homes, maybe small churches, or wherever they can possibly meet and to discuss what's coming next uh, down the road for them. And so this is going to be a very important passage, but in order to understand what comes after verse 9, uh, then they're going to need, as it says here, the mind which has wisdom, and that is the converted mind is the one that has wisdom. And then look at what he says immediately following that. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. Well, you go through this and you have to ask yourself, well, what is all of this talking about? Well, it's talking about empires. It's talking about from the from way back and we can begin looking at this as far as back as uh, the, the book of Daniel. And we saw the, the uh, reference there to the image that was given to Nebuchadnezzar. And we know that it takes spiritual discernment to understand what he gave him. And so we take that and we bring it over here to Revelation 17. And we see, what are we talking about? We're talking about seven kings 
Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain a while. Well, what are these? Well, it says that uh, in order to understand this, we need to look at the beast who has these heads, and it's not on the world religious system, it's on the political side. So we need to understand that the primary issue here is that the mountains represent kings. This, by the way, was common Old Testament for mountains or hills to represent a symbol of power or a symbol of rule. And so you look at Daniel, you can look at Jeremiah, Isaiah, you can look at Psalms, Zechariah, Habakkuk, all of these. And so the mountains represent seven empires, seven kings, inseparable from their kingdoms. Who are they? Well, five have fallen. Well, what are those five? Well, Daniel tells us of from the time of John's writing, we can look at four have fallen. And what are they? Well, they are uh, the, the Babylonian Empire that you start off the book of Daniel with, capturing the southern kingdom, the Medo-Persian, capturing the Babylonian captivity, and then the Greece, uh, the Greek uh, world uh, kingdom, and then Rome. Uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Remember the great image, and the head was the gold, and the upper part was the silver and bronze in the midsection, then steel and iron and iron and clay mixed. We, we, you, we probably remember that from our, our study of the book of Daniel. But the descending weakness is, is uh, depicted in the changing metals. But these were the four great world empires. But before those, there were two more, and that was Egypt and Assyria. Egypt and Assyria, at the time John writes, Rome is still a great world power. So, Going way back, and we've already covered all of this. This is just by way of review, the beginning of history. The biblical frame of reference we have is Egypt, then Assyria. And then over in, in uh, Daniel, we find four more, Babylonian, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. That takes us up to six. As John writes, five have fallen. Five have gone out of existence. Well, what are those five? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. And as John is writing this letter, this is important to understand this. There is still one in existence, and that's Rome. So from the time John writes to where we are today, we find the mixture of clay and metal mixed together in that image. And we even find a little after where we are now, which will be the tribulation period, the ten toes of iron and clay mixture. So we understand this and we see what this is all leading to. So we have five that have fallen, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Then says the angel, one is, and that's Rome, because this is referencing the time when John was writing this uh, from his experience in heaven. Then he says, the other has not yet come. Well, what is that? And we discussed that at length. That is the future kingdom of Satan and the Antichrist. The future great world kingdom. And I don't mean great in the sense of good. I mean great in the sense of large. And when he comes, again, the beast, again, is synonymous, or king, I should say, is synonymous with, with his king. And in this case, it's the beast, the Antichrist. When he comes, he must remain for a little while. All that says is that when he comes, it will be a very brief time. He will have his kingdom, but it will be for a very brief time. And so we find ourselves here in this particular passage, and we are getting a bit of, of a history of the world when we look at this. But it's important to understand that these seven kings 
uh, are representative of seven world empires. And so he's telling us this for a reason, because he's telling and showing John the image of the beast. But look at what it says in verse 11. And the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. Well, that is, uh, that is uh, it's like you have to put on your thinking cap here and try to figure this out. But he's not only the seventh, he's also the eighth. Well, how can he be the seventh and then the eighth? Well, I think we already know, and we mentioned this last time, by, and this will be, again, by way of review. We already know that, don't we? What's going to happen to the Antichrist? He's going to appear to die and be raised again so that he is both of the seventh and he's also the eighth as a new resurrected, supposedly for the world to see, resurrected leader, and that will make him the eighth. This then looks at the last final phase of the Antichrist rule after his uh, so-called uh, resurrection, after he destroys every form of religion and demands the whole world to worship him. So th- this, is what, this is what I want to mention here. The, the final world religion will be at the time, uh, will take place uh, through the Antichrist rallying the religious world together in whatever way, common purpose he uses to rally the world together. They will all be drawn in to worship, but they will be drawn in <coughs> to worship, which will be not the final world religion. Uh, that's not what that one's going to be. That's going to lead to it. But as the tribulation begins, the world's religious will be put into a unifying uh, work by the Antichrist at whatever he uses to unify them with a common purpose. But then the final world religion will be him as declaring himself to be God and demanding that the whole world worship him. That is what that is talking about. And so we see this as a bit of a challenge for us to understand how in the world are all these world religions going to <coughs> come together and accept one another, work together, when we don't see any way possible for that to be working today. I mean, we can't even picture Methodists and Baptists working together today. Uh, so... It's going to be a very interesting time. This then looks at the final phase uh, of the Antichrist rule after his resurrection and as he uh, moves forward to destroy the religious section of the world that has been drawn together. That is what the beast uh, is is riding here. When, when we look at chapter 17, we see uh, upon her head was written the name Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. This is that woman, but he, he's going to do away with that. And somewhere after that resurrection, he is going to be a different leader. He's going to be infused with the power of Satan himself, and he will be uh, head of the, the uh, he's already will be the one leading the world as far as the leadership of the world. But then this moves into explaining a little bit more about that. And so, before he calls the whole world to worship him that we saw in Revelation 13, there is still some more here that we want to cover in this. And I want you to notice verse 12. It says in Revelation 17, verse 12, And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings. Now, this is added to, remember now, the beast uh, that, he, that we see here, the seven, the seven kings 
are seven mountains. Those are the past previous world empires. And one of those empires is still yet to come. That's the Antichrist empire. And so now on top of that, we add verse 12. And the ten horns on top of that beast you saw are ten kings. <coughs> these have not been mentioned yet, but these ten kings have not yet received the kingdom, but they have received authority as kings with the beast for one hour. Now, that means they're going to serve with the beast, who is the Antichrist, for one hour. So now listen, the final kingdom is the seventh, and then the eighth, and it's composed of ten component parts. I, I guess for a better way to put it. The ten horns, a horn being an indication of power and authority, represents just that. In the final kingdom, the one headed up by the Antichrist, the one that will be during the tribulation period, the last half, uh, I mean the last uh, seven years of, of, of the time on earth as we know it, the ten horns refer to ten kings who have not yet received the kingdom. So during the time of the Antichrist reign, there will be ten kings that will help him rule the globe. I think that's simply what it's saying. We can't know more than that now until God reveals that to us, but we can see the world taking shape. And interestingly enough, there have been articles that have come out that says that, that eventually the world will be divided into ten zones or ten areas, primary areas, for the ease of ruling. Interesting that it says that because that's exactly what I think the Antichrist is going to do. Now, you remember Daniel describes the image, don't you? As <coughs> having ten toes, and so perhaps in the final form of the Antichrist rule, that he's going to divide the world into ten zones, and he's going to give certain men authority to rule on his behalf in those zones. In some way, I think... Uh, the, they will be a part of the federation of the Antichrist or the whole overall rule. Uh, they haven't received the kingdom, but they're going to be appointed by the Antichrist, uh, apportioned out to certain areas of the world and assign them their responsibility. They have the authority as kings with the beast for one hour, it says in verse 12. And again, that just emphasizes the brevity of it. I don't think it literally means one hour. I just think it just means for such a short time they're going to be like this. So you can see the world's headed for change, isn't it? I mean, it is really headed for some change. And I'm not so sure it's, it's not so... And I think it's very, very near to where we are now. But now, notice that they've been devoted to the beast. Verse 13. They have, if you'll notice in verse 13... Uh, I'll read this to you. They have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. Now, they have one purpose, to give their power and authority to the beast. So it makes sense that the Antichrist is going to take control of the world, divide it up, but people in there who are sort of like sub-kings who answer to him, who serve his purpose, and give all their power and authority to him. They do his will. They do his will alone. He is, remember, he is going to be God to them. They're going to look at him as the righteous one. And what is his purpose? What will be the purpose? Look at verse 13. These have one purpose. They give their power and authority to the beast who also just has one purpose. And so they're all going to be working on their purpose of the Antichrist. And what is that? 
I believe it's as simple as this. His one purpose, the Antichrist's one purpose, will be to destroy Christ, to destroy Christians or believers, to destroy Israel, and try to prevent the kingdom from coming. That's what Satan is trying to accomplish through these men who are so willingly <coughs> ready to do whatever Satan wants. Verse 14 says it all, I believe. Look at verse 14. That these uh, ten kings, in verse 12, receive their authority from the Antichrist. They give their soul and purpose or lives to him, in verse 13. And then in verse 14, here it spells it out, what their one purpose is. They are going to wage war against the Lamb, who is none other than Jesus Christ. And the Lamb will overcome them. Now, here's what's interesting, isn't it? Think about this. Satan is going to be heading this up. He knows what I just read. He's read it. He's heard preachers preach on it. He's hearing me preach on it, perhaps, or other... I'm sure Satan doesn't worry about me. Other demons are listening. They know. And so here's what they know. That the Lamb will overcome them because... Here's, here's the reason the Lamb is going to overcome them. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. That is amazing. And those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. So let me just break briefly, just very briefly, if you will spare me a minute or two, walk with me through the time of tribulation with this review. Listen to this. A seven-year period of tribulation will be taking place immediately after the church is raptured. The church of the true church, not individual churches, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, all true born-again believers. In other words, all those who had their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world at the time of the rapture will disappear. The Antichrist then rides in on the scene of the world, as it were, on a white horse, it says in Revelation 6, he has a bow but no arrows. It is a peaceful kind of takeover or conquering. He brings the world, what would appear to the world, to be a peace. It will be a false peace. But he takes over the world at the same time, a false religious world, global form of religion and worship grows up, and the two exist. The harlot, which is the religion, and supported by the beast, which will be the political rule of the world. Then, at midpoint in the tribulation period, the beast doesn't tolerate this harlot anymore, as we shall see. He consumes the false religious system and demands that the whole world worship him. You talk about brazen. You talk about bold. You talk about uh, a, a scene that would be scary, in fact. Imagine being a believer during these times, knowing that this is happening. It's going to be frightening. You, you'd better have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be trusting him, or you're going to be one disappointed fellow. But he brings this peace. He demands that the world worship him. 
He then becomes the world leader, not only politically, but spiritually, already having apportioned out the world into the, the ten different zones, having these ten, according to verse 12, sub-kings ruling on his behalf. His power, the first part of the tribulation, was the seventh great world empire, as we saw in these other verses, and the prophetic order. And after his false resurrection, which I believe it truly will be a false resurrection, he becomes also the eighth form, and that's where we are at this particular point. However, verse 14, basically, it says that they will wage war against him, uh, against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. Now, that is actually a look ahead, uh, I mean, a look back into chapter 16 that we covered. In 16, verses uh, 12 through 15, that's what that wage war, that's what that is. They're going to be uh, advancing in on this area of, of Armageddon. They're going to be coming together because they have been drawn together by the deceptive tactics of all of the demons that are working on the earth along with the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the beast, or the, the dragon, I should say. Satan, Antichrist, false prophet. Those three. And so this actually, in 17 14, is actually looking back at chapter 16. And so then you look at where, what else is here in chapter in, in verse 14. It says, and the Lamb will overcome them. That's actually looking at Revelation chapter 19. You can find out what happens in that battle by looking ahead to Revelation 19, but I'm not going to cover that now. Obviously, we'll get there. But the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Uh, so that is amazing. In fact, another look at this is actually found in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. You remember we covered that? Where it says uh, that at this particular time, looking ahead in Revelation chapter 6, uh, they see the heavens split apart like a scroll and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. That's a look at Revelation 16. And then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and the slave and the free. I'm in Revelation chapter 6 now. And hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks and wherever they could hide. And said to the, the, the rocks and the dirt and the mountains that are falling, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? Wow, what power there there is. What shaking this earth is going to experience. You know, your climate-controlled people, uh, they are going to be uh, on uh, a frenzy, not understanding what is happening to this earth as they go through the tribulation period. And I've said it before. They are going to realize this earth is at God's disposal. It is a disposable earth. He is in charge of the so-called global warming. He's in charge of all the storms, all the uh, catastrophic things upon the earth. He's in charge of volcanoes, earthquakes, uh, all of this, not man's carbon emissions. And so we're going to see some amazing things that this earth is going to experience. But this particular section, chapter 17 of Revelation, is the end of the of, of uh, false religion. Remember now, the false religion is going to take its uh, real seat uh, being 
perhaps located right there in Rome, or at least in Babylon, uh, will have its fingers and roots all the way into Rome, all the way back actually to the Tower of Babel, as uh, the Antichrist uses uh, his power and influence to unite the world through religion, and then he's going to tolerate that and put up with it and use it to his advantage until this so-called death that he experiences and the resurrection that he is going to experience. And then he's going to say that's it. He's going to do away with the religion. And that's what we have here. But look how he closes out this one chapter. Look how he closes. Look at verse 15. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And we covered that, saying how much influence the religious system will have during the tribulation period. This covers people and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw and the beasts, they will hate the harlot. Here we go. This is the end. This is the about midway through the tribulation period when he will hate the harlot and will make her desolate naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. Now, why is he going to do this? Uh, well, there, there's only one reason why he's going to do this. This is what God's real purpose is. They have one purpose, to give their purpose to the, the Lamb, to... I mean, to give the, their purpose to the Antichrist. And all of that works together so that they can try to fight God in 14. But look at what verse 17 says. 17 says, uh, if you're going to ask why is all of this hatred from the Antichrist to the religious system that he has been supporting for three and a half years, why does that change? Well, it changes for two reasons. For specifically, one, he, he's, the Antichrist has gone through a, a fundamental change in his being, and now he's going to be probably filled with some of the most powerful demons on the planet. But number two, look at verse 17. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose, by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God should be fulfilled. There you go. You see, no matter what is happening in the world during the tribulation period, no matter how powerful Satan appears, no matter how powerful the false prophet appears, no matter how real the miracles look, no matter what is going on, it's going to appear that God is not in control. It's going to appear actually that Satan is in sovereign rule and control on the earth. But nothing could be farther from the truth. This passage tells me God is large and in charge. God is the one controlling every bit of this. God is the one not just allowing it, but they are working to accomplish his purpose. Who is? Who's working to accomplish his purpose? Well, Satan is. The Antichrist is. The false prophet is. These ten kings who will be sub-kings helping the Antichrist. They are working to accomplish the purpose of God. <coughs> Verse 17 again. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose. You know what that means? It means they don't think it's his purpose. They think it's their purpose. By having a common purpose, 
In other words, they're unified. And by giving their kingdom to the beast, they think all of that is to help him and to accomplish what he desires until the words of God should be fulfilled. And when they're fulfilled, they will be destroyed. Every one of them. It's amazing, is it not? Now the reason all the forces of hell and all the demons and all the powers of evil men cannot defeat the Lamb is because He is King of kings and Lord of lords. When are they going to learn? Satan has tried over and over and over again. It's like he cannot get it. But I want you to notice something in verse 14. Because he is Lord of lords, King of kings, and those who are with him, when it's that, Revelation 19, we'll see it later, who's with him? Well, it says, are the, who are with him are the called, the chosen, and faithful. Well, it has to be saints. It cannot be angels. Angels are chosen. It can't be angels because of what it says. Angels are chosen, yes, but they're not called, and they don't operate by faith. They operate by sight. It can't be angels. It has to be saints. It has to be believers who are described here. When Christ returns, and we're going to have to look at that in, in, a, in a few weeks. Not have to. We get to look at that in a few weeks. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen and white and clean, are following him. Who are they? They are the saints, the redeemed, the glorified church, the only ones who are the called, according to Revelation, I mean Romans chapter 8, who are the chosen and the faithful, are the saints. They're believers. This, by the way, is the great salvation text. It starts with election in eternity past and comes to the calling and to the faith which saves. You know, well, I could say so much right there, but I don't think I will. This takes us to the last point of this chapter, the extermination of the harlot. And you look at the extermination and you see it is really going to happen. He is really going to do away with this. At some point after he's gained control of the world, obviously, he wants the world to worship him. He wants to be God. The ultimate blasphemy, he doesn't want the world having any other distraction of religion to worship. He wants it all. So he hates the harlot. It will make her desolate, naked, will eat her flesh, and will burn her up. So he can't stand competition. You see that, don't you? He can't stand it. Because the religion itself has great power. It is seductive control over people of the world. And if you don't think that religion is a great power in politics, then ask yourself why all the politicians on the face of the earth can't stop people from fighting each other over religious issues. They can't. It doesn't matter what they try. They never will succeed. All the politicians are racking their brains to try to do something about Croatia, Syria, uh, Serbia, and all those in Bosnia. They can't do anything about that. There's never going to be an answer to these. They can't do anything about it because there are more compelling issues on the religious level than, than they're willing to admit. They run deep. <coughs> Excuse me. When the Antichrist will not be able to tolerate that, I mean, he wants to do away with them. So he makes her desolate. This is, I believe, he robs the system of her wealth and treasure and power and leaves her absolutely naked. He strips the system bare takes it all. The religious system of the world is left with nothing. And by the way, the false prophet cooperates in this and moves 
through all of this to accomplish that purpose. The false prophet isn't dumb. He wants a job, and so he's left to do whatever the beast wants done. He eats your flesh. What does that mean? Everything is gone. Everything is consumed. There's not a vestige of the former false religious system left anywhere. Yes, the world's false religion is going to go. But in taking its place is going to be one even greater. The worship of Satan himself through the form of the Antichrist. Demanding the world to worship. Remember, according to Revelation 13, if you don't bow, you stand to be killed, executed. Revelation 20 will say this as we look at it. You're going to have to have your head cut off if you don't bow to that power. I tell you what, the world's headed for a mess. It's already in a mess, but boy, it's going to get worse. You think, well, it can't get any worse. It can get worse. It can get much, much, much worse. So this will end the, the spiritual side of this. Notice it doesn't end with his kingdom ending, but that will come. And boy, is it going to come with a destructive blow. And then next time we will look at beginning in chapter 18 of Revelation. I cannot believe we're actually as far as chapter 18. It is going to be an amazing time. But for now, this is William Rogers thanking you again for joining us during this verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Revelation.